Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, roads and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Every single person we employ is a leader in our business. Every single individual has the ability to influence what we do, has the ability to influence our customers, their, their co-workers, um, and the business. That's really, really important. So I might have someone that's that's earning you know, nine, ten pounds an hour serving coffee, and their role as a leader is to make sure they can lead their particular section or their particular area as if it were their own. Not everybody wishes to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody wants to to, to take those risks. But I think most people in there somewhere have a sense of pride that they want to do a great job. And we just, we work really hard to try and prize that out of people. And we try and make sure that people take real accountability for what they're doing and are really honest with each other. And if they see something they don't like, then they deal with it. This is Jonathan Reed, MD of Patty and Scott. They are a group of very passionate people who not just sell coffee, they're on a mission to change the world by the way we drink coffee. And one of the ways they're doing that is through their own coffee farm in Kenya. As we heard before here on the show, in episode 43, the coffee supply chain is long and complicated, full of people taking their cut of the farmer's hard work. And Patty and Scott had a bold idea to cut these middlemen out of the supply chain to shorten the distance between coffee grower and coffee drinker. And also, they're a great place to work. They're building a work culture that does not follow the old and traditional top-down commander-control approach. They're building a culture where people can find meaning, mastery, and get freedom to operate. Jonathan shares the journey since 2007 and what they learned from the pandemic and how they're managing the current challenges. We take a deep dive into the staffing crisis and he mentioned that they are not particularly struggling to find great people and he believes it comes down to the approach of putting people first and involving them in the business. Before you tune in, please sign up to our weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies and tools. Please find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. There are some killer insights in this episode on how to build a company, employees and customers love and support. So now stop what you're doing, grab a drink, coffee and your notebook and here we go. Today uh, we're going to have a conversation I've really been looking forward to for quite a while. I was actually meant to go there up over the summer for many reasons that didn't happen. And but now we have the opportunity, and we're going to be talking about something we actually we visited over the summer with with a different guests, and we're going to be probably talking a lot about how do you actually build this unique culture that can become your competitive advantages. 
And uh, we're going to be talking with a, a UK operator about that. And uh, I met Jonathan a couple of years ago uh, at an event in London. I think it was an experience one-on-one event. We we met the first time and you were serving coffee. And that was the first time I met Patty and Scott as well. Uh, I could feel straight away there was something unique with you guys. At that point, I didn't know all the things you were doing. And then followed you since and we have kept in touch and stuff. So it's a huge honor to have you on the show today, Jonathan, Where we, so we can actually dive a bit deeper into who are you and what is all this about fueling ambition? Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on there on the pod. John, uh, for people that haven't you know, heard about you before, Patty and Scott, can you just give a, just like a background uh, of uh, who you are, how you ended up in hospitality, your journey with Patty and Scott, and, and, and what you guys are up to right now when it comes to, to coffee and making people's life better? Yeah, I've personally worked in hospitality forever since I left school. I uh, I went to hotel school and spent a few years working for some large corporate hotel organizations, had a blast, had a real good time. Um, after that, I joined um, a really forward-focused um, employee engagement tech startup um, in London for 13 years, which was great. And then about three years ago, joined Paddy and Scott's, which is a, a beautiful um, it's really socially focused coffee company based in lovely Suffolk in East Anglia. So um, we are um, a tiny little business with big ambitions, big energy, big heart. Uh, and we have our own coffee farm in Kenya where we are doing some brilliant work in terms of using the coffee supply chain to really, really change uh, the lives of people that work with us and that work and live close to our coffee farm in the region of Meru. In, uh, in in northern Kenya, so it's a it's a privilege uh, and an honour to, to be involved in a business that is all about seeing change happen positively uh, and thinks about business as more than just making a quick buck. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great business, and I think um, over the past three years that I've been here with Paddy and Scotts, we've had a lot of fun. We've uh, experienced some really strong growth, and actually, um, it's just the start of our kind of startup journey as we come out of COVID as a lot of organizations are in the same place. So we're pretty excited about what the next couple of years holds for us. That's super interesting. You say like the startup journey, because you you started in 2007, as I remember when I read up on you guys, so Patty and Scott was founded in 2007. And, and you see this almost like a new chapter. Is that what you're saying? Like it's a, coming out of COVID is like almost like a new beginning for, for you as a business, but also for the industry. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I think we've been around for 15 years. And uh, in, in, in that time, you know, it's been it's been a business that sometimes has been a hobby, a passion. Um, other years, it's been a real business. And I think where we are right now is that we want to use our learnings from the last couple of years when COVID hit to, to really help turbocharge where we want to get to. Because I think without COVID, uh, we wouldn't have invested as we had in technology. We wouldn't have learned some of the tools on e-commerce. Um, we wouldn't have learned and experienced how difficult and how much fun it can be to to keep communication going really strong with customers and with your team members remotely. So there's lots of great stuff to come from the last couple of years. I mean, there's obviously a lot of sadness as well, um, but we are, you know, really, really, I guess, reopening with a new lease of life, and that's really all about you know, being a startup once over again, which we're pretty excited about. Has your, um, has your, your, your purpose, your vision, your mission, has that been adapted to the, the current environment or is that still the same as when the business was founded? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think our what and our why is pretty strong. 
Uh, but I think what we have worked on over the past 18 months is, is the how. So, um, you know, we are proudly here to, to try and make a difference to, to, to everyone we work with, really. That's team members, um, that's partners, customers, stakeholders, that's our friends in Kenya, our family in Kenya, I should say. Um, and that's at the heart of our business. So, you know, when we sell coffee to our customers in our coffee shops, um, we feel that we have a lot of pride in that single cup of coffee because of the impact it's having around the world. So we know that, let's say, back in May, when we sort of sent 1,500 school meals out to India, um, we could only have done that because of the support and loyalty we have from our customers and our team. Uh, and I think those little gestures that we are able to make really set the tone for what we want to be about. And, um, you know, ultimately, I will say this, but I want to go home at night, see my kids, and I want them to be proud of me uh, and I guess look up to me because of what I'm doing when I go to work, which, you know, we all spend a lot of time at work. And um, if I can play a small part in helping someone else around the world improve their situation, their life, then I think that's a pretty cool place to be. And it's super interesting. You talked a bit about you have the farm in, in, in Kenya. And in, in my view, that's like being at the front line of change. You know, you are actively trying to change. I mean, not just talking about or donating money, but you're actually, actually having a, a place in the front line of where change needs to have, you know, life conditions for, for these people, uh, the works at the farm and so on. Well, what is it exactly, how exactly you are approaching that running a, a coffee farm in a, in a very different country so far away? And, and how does that work? Because that must give some, you know, you think from a business point of view, oh, that's, that's a lot of supply chain challenges if you own that bit of the business as well. Yeah, I must. I must confess, I use the phrase "our farm," uh, and that's kind of with love. But you know, we we have um, a relationship, a partnership, if you like, with a family called the Machumbas out in uh, out in Maru in Kenya. And the last thing we want to do, actually, uh, in spite of what I've just said, is is rock up to a country like Kenya, uh, like true capitalist would, and buy land, <laughs> and uh, and I guess dictate how the world is going to be from now on. So that's not what we are at all. What, what we have is really strong partnerships with uh, with with farmers like the Machumbas, and we try and make sure that their their life experience and their work is cherished more so than if they just worked on the open market for coffee supply chain. Um, so for us, we used to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. Um, getting large organizations to stamp our coffee, coffee and say it was produced to an ethical standard. And um, we got a little bit disillusioned with that world. Um, we still, you know, we still work with those organizations and I think they do a brilliant job. But we thought, oh, do you know, the size we are, why can't we just bust that world open a little bit and go direct to source? And rather than, you know, pay these hundreds of thousands of dollars every year for a stamp on our back, on our coffee bag, why can't we invest that money into projects that, really excite us um such as you know adding uh water facilities to the local school the local rural school um you know why can't we build a science laboratory in the local school why can't we fund school meal projects um and in doing so how can we make sure that that when we say we're going to donate you know 1500 school meals to india how can we be sure that every single meal gets to a child that needs it not um, someone else being involved in that relationship, taking a percentage or administration fee or whatever it may be, which, which happens. So um, for us, yeah, that's really important to us. And I think the way we've modeled the farm is a really exciting venture. You know, we, we would like to do more of that stuff around the world. Uh, we're looking at a few projects elsewhere. The, the reality is in these third world countries, um, 
there is you know a lack of investment but there is so much energy and passion and pride in what they're doing uh you know and for us to go to kenya and invest some money in uh, in agronomy to invest some money in infrastructure and i guess to try and work with the local community to effectively deliver brilliant coffee is uh, is, is is quite a cool obvious thing to do if you ask me uh, and and the benefits are you know for everyone clear to see we get brilliant coffee where the the family and the local community hugely invested um we get to thank them and show our gratitude for their efforts and support the local community and i think our customers feel much closer to where the coffee is harvested as well as a result because you know we can share the stories of successes only uh yesterday i had a beautiful letter from the head teacher uh, from the local school saying thank you so much for your efforts in supporting our school you know we've just put this uh, multi-purpose uh, hall we've just built this multi-purpose hall um, and that's not down to me or down to Paddy and Scott's that's down to our customers that uh, support us and drink our coffee so it's a lovely lovely exchange and as I say we think that stuff is really important and um, for us why can't we do business and use that business to to create change around the world. That, that's super. That's super inspiring, Jonathan. And uh, and you have been continuing being able to do that, even though you've gone through a pandemic, which I think is really interesting as well. You haven't lost the, the focusing on making impact besides profit, because you know you need to keep the business alive. In uh, when you look at your things, Jonathan, there's the word fueling ambition, or the the phrase fueling ambition, or rather corrected to. What did that actually mean for you as an organization? Because you have it on your posters, you have it on your T-shirts. It's everywhere. It definitely means something for you. Mm, yeah. Well, I, th- I think you know. I believe a lot can be achieved with a, with a humble cup of coffee, and we don't see coffee as 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 just a you know hot black drink. We see it as fuel, uh, and we love the idea that people can meet in our coffee shops. They can do business deals. They can be on a date they can you know start stuff that could last forever be it you know relationships partnerships whatever it may be and ultimately our coffee our fuel can can really lead to something so for us the concept of fueling ambition is all about seeing that cup of coffee uh, as fuel to make you feel ambitious courageous to want to take on the day you know we talk about uh, wanting to to make coffee for the pioneers the creators um you know creative people that, that just see coffee as a real fuel what about um uh, when you talk about you know you've just gone through you know a tremendous time like the rest of the industry the the pandemic and we're probably not out yet um what have you as an md have to unlearn or what does patty and scott have to unlearn the last 18 months then besides that you know the only constant there is right now is change as we talked about before we went live but well, what is it like the, the real big things you have like thrown away from post-pandemic you know yeah i mean i don't know if we've um unlearned a great deal but i think what we have done is is completely reprioritized what was important to us um so that's uh, that's certainly one thing i mean you know we, we know what it's like all of us have gone through it communicating with with people that are not connected physically is a real challenge that's customers that's that's team members that's partners stakeholders so you've really had to think over the past 18 months about how you can communicate effectively how you can continue to to kind of build engagement with people and not just leave them there um so that's been really interesting for us and i think i, I touched on it earlier but 
this whole concept of feeling like a startup business again is a real priority for us. You know, we love the energy that we have seeping through our veins and our people right now. And it feels like we've just got so much energy and so much good stuff happening that actually um, we're proud of being a startup 15 years, 15 years into the journey. So um, if COVID has given us anything, it's, it's a real new energy. Um, so you actually you you actually like use the you know the the downsides of COVID and use that actually to fuel you know positivity through the organization, which I think is it's very interesting. You also like you have this like every time I met you and I read about things you're doing is that you have this intent to be you know a great hospitality business. And what is in your view like a great hospitality business? You already talked about you need to give more than you take in principle. But there's other things that like the ingredients to build like, you know, in your view, a great hospitality business. Yeah, I mean, I think the very definition of hospitality is all about um, making someone's day better uh, than it was before they walked through the door or before they had the interaction or before they met somebody. And for me, this is not new ground, incidentally, but this starts with the team members and leads right through to our customers. So you know, when our guys come to work in the morning, what are we doing consciously to make sure when they step through the door, they are going to have an incredible time with us? Um, if they do, then the chances are they're going to convey that to their, to their, to their guests and our customers. Um, so I think the environment we create for them is really important. And that's about great leadership. It's about making sure people are valued. And it's about giving them the freedom to to be themselves. The last thing we want to do in this business is process our employees so they turn into robots uh, and feel like, you know, they can't be themselves. We all know there are standards, you know, operating procedures, all the rest of it. But ultimately, it comes back to great recruitment and great culture. And if those two things are correct, I don't think you need too much by way of, uh, of, of standards and procedures because things just tend to happen and become quite magical. Yeah, let's dive into you mentioned recruitment. What what, what is a great recruitment in your? What is a, like your principles for for great recruitment when you are? What is important for for Patty and Scott when you're looking for these people that's gonna help you deliver that great experience both to your your internally but also externally? Yeah, well, for me, it's all about energy, really. Um, energy, infectious energy, is, is what we look for um, all all the time, and I think. You know, we, so to give you an idea, I haven't recruited anybody really for two or three years. I I, I don't really interview people. Um, I am a big fan of getting the guys and girls that already work here to interview and select the people they want to work with. So I don't think that's a particularly crazy concept. But for me, you know, you spend a lot of time at work. It's really important that I think you get to influence the people you're going to spend that time with. So why should a big boss from the ivory tower rock up and make a decision when we're all about trying to create fun for people and, and create communities within our, within our coffee shops. So I think that's something that we proudly do and it works brilliantly. Um, you know, people know what internally, people know what a Paddy and Scott's person is all about. They know what we're looking for. They know what's going to fit. And I dare say um, they do a much better job at it than me as the MD of, of selecting our people. And I'm a great believer in in new people joining us and having really strong sponsors. Um, so when they join on day one, there is a band of merry people there willing and waiting to make sure they are successful in their role. And and that's something we've really focused on is setting people up for success and making sure 
that they've got some early wins that they can achieve pretty quickly to make them feel good about their time at Paddy and Scott's and to give them some confidence that they can take a risk. Um, you know, we, we had um, sort of five or six people join us last week. And you know, the first thing I said to them was, listen, guys, just, just to let you know, you, you've all applied to, to join us as, as a barista. We're really, really proud that you chose us. And we're really proud to tell you that you've beaten at least 200, 300 people to this job. So hopefully you can puff your chests out and feel good about that achievement because uh, it's a competitive world out there and, and we're really proud to have you on board. And I think, you know, that, that sort of honesty really helps. And from day, from the day, from day one, it, uh, it builds a culture that says, we're going to be really honest with you and we ask you to be really honest with us. So if, if this is not for you, <laughs> then tell us. And, you know, we're very lucky. We've been working on um, being, a, I hate labels. I mean, we've not been working on being a great employer. We're not trying to be a best place to work or, you know, yawn, yawn, yawn. We're just decent folk. And we recognize that um, to be a successful business in hospitality, it's all about your people. So why can't we create a company that people want to work for? So that's been a, you know, a journey we've been doing for the last two or three years. And then lo and behold, COVID comes, Brexit comes. No one's got any staff. Everyone's looking to recruit. Well, we're doing just fine. You know, we've got loads of people that want to come and work for us, thankfully. And we are seemingly ahead of the game when it comes to recruiting people if we need them. And it's so interesting you put that, you know, quite if you take from a manager's point of view and, and people that is running units, they how much the leaders are spending time on recruitment, you know, especially in, in, in the moment, actually, you you're given that uh, authority to, to the people. And we, we can come back to that in a second, how you get autonomy and so on. But how did you actually make that happen? You know, besides saying, I want you to do the recruitment, did you give them tools? Uh, how did actually, you know, have you learned them in a, some, some, some basics around recruitment? Or have you just said, this, this is the framework, these are the principles. And what did you do to make that happen? That step of putting recruitment out to the front line? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think um, so. We we have somebody sort of century that that does the shortlisting, if you like. Um, we're pretty succinct in how we ask people to to apply for roles here at Padding Scott. So we, uh, you know, we're not interested in being one of a hundred roles that somebody applies for on Indeed or on Cater.com or something like that. You know, that's not really good enough. That doesn't set the set the tone for what we're looking for from our people. So we always ask for a one-page CV, which obviously takes some work. Someone has to consciously decide, yes, I'm feeling strongly enough about working with Paddy and Scott's that I'm going to condense my CV into one page. And then we always ask for sort of five bullet points that tells us why you're the superstar we're looking for. Again, not particularly scientific. This is not going to blow anyone's mind, but you would be astonished at the amount of people that don't follow those simple instructions. And it's relatively simple to separate the wheat from the chaff once you ask for a fairly strong directive application such as that then when we get the guys to, to to meet the shortlist ultimately and yes we have to work with the team so they know what questions to ask so we have got you know some questions some probing questions but it's not a formula and it's not a, it's not a set specification of, of questions um because let's face it, when you interview someone, we all know that you've already made your decision within the first 15 seconds or whatever it is anyway. So let's not spend an hour talking about life and achievements and everything else when really we've all made our, our calls and our opinions clear pretty early. So um, I don't know, I, I, we don't overthink it. We don't overthink it. 
you work here, you chances are you've worked here for two or three years, you know what's going to work, um, what feels right to you, what are you looking for uh, from a coworker, from a friend? You know, we do ask a few little interesting questions that helps us make decisions. So we always sort of say, okay, would this person um, be a good person to go with a beer with, go for a beer with on a Friday night? Would you want to spend time in the company? Pretty simple, yes or no. We also say, if this person were to be offered another job elsewhere this afternoon before you called them, would you be gutted? Mm. Hmm. Simple as that. Simple as that. That's interesting. And, and that, in a way, sets the, the, the tone for what you just told there, you know, a lot about the culture uh, as well. But well, how do you define, you know, culture or great culture? And do you see this as your key competitive advantage? Because what you're talking about here is behaviors that inform the way you do things, as I can hear you as you talk. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, culture for me is is... It's, it's those unwritten rules, isn't it, that exist in an organisation that make people or encourage people to make choices that support um, more than just themselves. So we, we want to build this, this culture where people feel they are given freedom to make decisions, but those decisions work for us, they work for themselves, they work for our customers. Um, so we do try and drive high performance in our stores, in our business. We do our very best to make sure people are awarded um, and recognised for great stuff. And it does help that we have a reason for being, really. So it does help that we are not purely asking people to come and work for us to help us make some money. I think that's that's quite an interesting dynamic. So, you know, when I report back to the guys and, and talk about, um, as I did just today, actually, um, the multi-use sports hall that we've just kind of contributed towards in Kenya. I don't, I don't tell them that for any other reason than because they've, they've, they've achieved that. They've built that. They may not physically put bricks in the ground, but their work has contributed hugely to that, to that multi-purpose hall that is changing kids' lives in Kenya. I think that's quite cool. And I think it's really um, much more interesting than working for a business and just helping shareholders earn more money. And, and I think it's, it's very interesting that actually these non-financial uh, things, as you say, they are actually not only making the customers excited about spending their pounds with you, but also like people want to join an organization where they can feel that I'm part of doing something more than just having a job and earning some money. I'm actually making some kind of positive impact because I guess we all looking because we all know that we need to be part of this change that needs to happen in the world if it's climate change whatever it is we all want to find a way to live that out and i think is that also what you hear from people as they join you they they feel they can do that through their jobs well actually no i think people join us because we're quite a cool fun company to work for and i think people learn that over time and it becomes more important to them once they're part of the fabric so i you know i, I always i've always joked that some companies you know, they interview and, and they're kind of like, oh, um, what what are you passionate about? And they kind of sit there in shock when they when the um, the applicant says something that isn't about the company they're, they're hoping to join or the world in which they operate. Well, you know, people can't be passionate about something and, and can't be really excited about it when they don't know what it looks like and what it feels like. So for us to expect people to, 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 to kind of understand our world and get excited about it, 
before really experiencing it is probably a little bit ignorant. So to answer your question, no, but it builds over time. It builds over time. And, and you know what? Everyone's different, right? So some people work for us because because we pay well. Some people work for us because um, we have lots of fun. Some people work for us because they like coffee and they don't want to pay for it. <laughs> they just can take what they want. Um, some people work for us because, like I said earlier, they want to go home at night and they want to tell their kids that, that, that the work they've done today is, is funding something bigger than just just a business, um, but it's changing people's lives. So whatever it is for you, um, Mr. or Mrs. Applicant, you know, if you're right for our business, we'll do our best to, uh, to engage you. We'll try and make it exciting for you. And, and hopefully one of the things we do or several of the things we do will inspire you. Do you have you on this journey? Have you been, you know, sat down at some point and said, we need to define some, 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 a playbook here, some beliefs, values, principles, people call them different things to actually make sure you can implement this culture and, and do things as you do, where you actually are able to give this level of authority and autonomy to, to your frontline employees. Uh, we have, um, but if I'm honest, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of uh, of labels on the wall. I mean, I think you know, lots of companies have uh, have big bold words on the wall, and, and that's meant to sum up what we're all about. And I must, we do have that. <laughs> we do have that. Um, but I'm not that interested in it, really. You know, I think you 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 walk into somewhere, and you know, within five ten minutes, what sort of experience is coming, what the place is like. Um, and I, and I maintain, you know, I'm I'm damn sure that people come and trade with us, come and spend their money with us, um, not because, you know, they love our coffee necessarily. That helps, but it's probably because they see how much fun we have and how much fun our team have, and they want a bit of that. They want to buy that. You know, they, they walk past, they see the queue, and they're like, "Wow, that queue looks like it's having some fun," because the guys at the bar are having some fun, uh, and it, it permeates. So. I'm more into what it feels like than what it's than what's written down. Now, of course, we're a tiny little business, so we haven't got to worry about too much about the framework that sits behind. We can just do what we're doing. And of course, as we grow number of locations around the UK, it gets harder to both define and um, and measure. But actually, the principle is the same. When you walk in somewhere, can you feel Paddy and Scotts or not? Now you mentioned growth in connection with culture, and then you just already you already had a reservation there. What is your approach to you know growth? Uh, because everybody has to grow. That's in one way or the other. If that's through location or digital sales, you know that's it. You know we all have to grow to change and actually make the world better. Sometimes we need to grow as well. How, how are you going to manage that, and how do you make decisions that? Because that's an interesting factor that comes up again post pandemic is this uh, conversation about now we just you know we we need to go and open we are launching we need to replicate what we've done and we need to move fast because the opportunity is now and here but i'm almost a little bit scared listening to that because i could also see massive issues with that uh, pre-pandemic when we talked about growth and a cookie cutter way of growing a hospitality business mm, yeah and again it comes back to recruitment i think um because if you if you get people <clears throat> that are a great fit and you give them the framework and you give them the impetus to um, to, uh, to be themselves, but within the Paddy and Scotts framework, um, then then it tends to work. I mean, we you know we're very lucky. We don't have external shareholders. We haven't got to report to people that are demanding that we open up a hundred coffee shops this year or anything like that. So we can you know we can really make sure what we're doing. Is, um, is 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 done well, um, and 
for that reason, we don't need to race. You know, we get offered opportunities every single day to open a coffee shop here or there or to work with this company or, you know, this relationship, that partnership. And and we're really selective, we're really selective, which is difficult on the basis that none of us have made any money for the past uh, 18 months during COVID. But you, you, you've got to believe in what you are and you've got to stick to your guns sometimes. So, yeah. That's that's super interesting again because uh, you're saying it's a it's a it's the journey, not the outcome, in a way, and uh, and I think that's that's an interesting approach as well to 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 running a business, and I think that comes to my next thing as as you've been part of, you know, you know, in a very difficult, you know, uh, you've been there a bit more than three years, and eighteen months of them has been, you know, navigating through the pandemic. What has been your your biggest learning? You know, maybe you can also go back through your whole career in hospitality. Of when you want to build great culture, what is uh, what has been your biggest learning when it comes to that? Because everybody talks about this, you know, I'm going to build a great culture, but it's it's one of those when you start to step into that journey, it's quite complex and sometimes a bit untangible. What's going on? Yeah, I, mean, I think being authentic is really important. So, you know, if we say we're going to do something, we are going to do it. Um, we we the minute you you, you kind of let someone down internally or externally, I think. It's a slippery slope. So, I mean, that's simple to say and easy to say because the world is ever changing. But if we say we're going to do something, damn, damn right, we're going to do it. The other thing I would say is is the impact of poor ha- poor hires on a business and its culture. So, when I first arrived three years ago, I think there was some people in the organisation that, that that were phenomenally talented people. But maybe, maybe, maybe their journey had come to an end. Maybe they'd been here too long, or whatever it may be. Um, and it, it kind of needed some uh, some quick decisions to be made, and some instinctive decisions to be made. And yeah, I think if those decisions weren't made or aren't made, then you can really, really slow yourselves down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's, that's super interesting because I think actually. For many, that's actually the biggest blogger sometimes for you know building great culture is actually not dealing with the 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 wrong people because if you don't get the wrong people off the bus, the 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 great people will will leave at some point because they will not accept being with mediocrity. I normally say, what is the uh, what is the leader's role in building this uh, culture because. Uh, there's often, you know, different understanding about what a leader's role is. And you already indicated that, you know, part of your way of your building culture is actually you give people freedom to operate, which you you so kindly borrowed to me at some point when we had an exchange uh, uh, about uh, permission to operate, I think I call it. And you said, no, Michael, it's freedom to operate. And I, I'm taking that on board and really using that. But can you talk a bit about that and, and your role as a leader to actually, you know, build this authority within the, the company and, and you are actually burning down the Christmas tree in a way, you know, the, the traditional hierarchy is disappearing uh, in, in your organization as, as many other progressive organizations. Talk a bit about that and, and your role as a leader and what that does to you and you spend your life in hospitality where it's been all about control the outcome, know the processes you mentioned as well. Um, tell, tell me a bit about that. And I think people would be very interesting to hear some more about that as well. So as far as I'm concerned, every single person we employ is a leader in our business. Every single individual has the ability to influence what we do, has the ability to influence our customers, their, their co-workers um, and the business. That's, that's really, really important. So... I might have someone that's that's earning I don't know, nine, ten pounds an hour serving coffee, and their role 
as a leader is to make sure they can lead their particular section or their particular area as if it were their own. So, you know, not everybody wishes to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody wants to, to, to take those risks and, and start their own business. But I think most people in there somewhere have a sense of pride that they want to do a great job. And we just, we work really hard to try and prize that out of people. And we try and make sure that people take real accountability for what they're doing and are really honest with each other. And if they see something they don't like, then they deal with it. And they don't, you know, pop off to a manager and, and, and moan and, and, and have politics and all that sort of rubbish. Um, just just do, do what feels right. And ultimately, yeah, be a leader. We talk about leadership at all levels quite a lot. It's really important to us. How much hierarchy do you have, uh, Jonathan, in the organization? How, uh, is it is reasonably flat or are you very traditional hierarchy or how does it work for, for Patty and Scott? No, I mean, we're very, very flat, very, very flat. So there's probably, uh, I mean, our board is, is three people and below that we have um, probably, you know, one sort of middle management tier and then, then we're team members. So um, very, very flat. Yeah, very flat. Yeah, that, that's super interesting as well. If you think about the traditional way of of structuring organizations in the hospitality, uh, as I've been I've been studying and following you, and I've seen recently, you've been very good at documenting what's going on out in the stores, and you talk a lot about that uh, autonomy you have. And there was there was an experiment going on. I think it was last week where you one of your teams were so over over three weeks, and you can probably tell this better than I can. We're reducing uh, opening days, but they actually boost performance in that store. Can you tell a bit more about that? That sounds like really interesting, especially when we connect that with the staffing crisis as well. Yeah, so we have um, one store in particular that it was it was getting really really busy. You know, it was come out of COVID. Uh, lots of people were, were flocking to see us, and I could just sense the team were were a little bit tired. Um, and we kind of said, okay, well, look, how can we how can we switch this up a little bit? How can we make sure everyone's talents are best used and that our customers are getting what they want? And we just kind of said, well, look, the weekends in this particular location aren't brilliant. You know, they're okay, but they're not brilliant. Monday to Friday is, is our really strong period. So how much do we get from opening at weekends versus the, versus the, the saving we could make and the experience we could give our team members by giving weekends off? Uh, and we kind of, you know, we bashed it about a little bit as a group. And we said, okay, well, look, let's put it to the test. If we can achieve the same sales that we used to do in seven days, but over five days, then that's that's that. Then let's do it. That's that's a win for the business. That's a really really strong win for the business. So, so first week was 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 awful. The second week wasn't much better, and all all of a sudden the third week it just it just came together beautifully, and um, our sales sort of rocketed. Um, and I think I can only put that down to the energy of the of the team and the fact that they had this little idea, they wanted to run with it, and I'm going, yeah, okay, let's try it, let's try it, let's try it, and they made it, they made it work themselves. So you know, I didn't once say to them, okay, we'll do it, but here's you 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 must promote this product, you must sell this, you must do that, nothing like that. It it was purely about okay, I'll back you guys, and but this is the challenge, you know, uh, are you up to it? And seemingly they were. And the sales, as I say, skyrocketed uh, and, and have done in week four as well, I must say. So it's, it's good. It's good. And I think it, it just a, a bit of uh, different thought process sometimes makes a big difference. 
and that's coming back to your earlier questions about COVID is what we've tried to do, you know, really look at things a little bit differently just because we've always opened seven days a week and because the industry senses that's the right thing to do. Maybe it's not right in this direction and maybe it's not right for this team uh, and maybe our customers could enjoy an experience that's slightly different. Yeah, and it's actually funny. Um, I was in in London actually this morning uh, before I, I traveled back. I just had a quick coffee with a very good friend of mine, and and we walked around. There was a couple of places that was not uh, open where we would thought we could go and and grab something because they've changed, you know, things because of, of staffing in a way. And in a way, we said this is also the time really to rethink if you should have been open at this time. Uh, Exactly. Is it now that actually your customers gonna come and enjoy? If there's only three people coming for lunch, there's no reason to be open. If you can actually have better energy, as you say, because in the end of the day, hospitality is, as you say, an energy business. That's what, in principle, besides a good product, that's what we want. We want to get an energy and experience from it. Um, and that, that leads me to, to the next question, uh, Jonathan, the staffing crisis. You know, everybody's talking about it. There's a lot of writing about it. It's a uh, the the worst has ever been uh some people are missing 20 percent of the 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 workforce they need some other 10 and then as people like you guys that's not really feeling it but what is the way forward when it comes to the staffing crisis and and where we are as a hospitality nation and i think it's not just a uk problem we have to acknowledge that It's it's a global problem but what is your view on this and what is the way forward yeah it's it's a really funny one isn't it um it just kind of crept up overnight, hasn't it? The, the supply demand issue with people. We luckily, we don't feel it as much because we've got you know, a really strong audience of people that, that still want to work for Paddy and Scots locally where we are in Suffolk. So we're pretty lucky in that respect. I don't know, it's difficult. The industry has always been obsessed with promoting itself as a, a career of choice. And I always think really, is it about careers? Is that what we're trying to sell people? Why can't we just sell people a really good job that could just be four hours a week, eight hours a month, whatever it is? Why have we got to get so obsessed with careers? Um, I think I think the industry is a great place to work. You can learn so much so soon and be exposed to some brilliant stuff. I know when I left university, you know, I was running a, a restaurant and bar operation of a million quid and, and I was age 21. Um, you know, where else do you get that sort of responsibility, getting people to take chances on you? nowhere else but it's not about a career necessarily it's just about a job i'm convinced there's a lot of people kind of moaning and with good reason it's tough out there i appreciate but no one wakes up and says oh do you know what i want to be i want to be an amazon delivery driver i don't believe so yeah for me let's focus less on the career stuff and let's just give people a really good environment to work in it's fascinating even the last couple of weeks all of these companies have come out uh well and said we are giving pay rises, four percent pay rise. Well done, really good job. Four percent pay rise. Wow, that's going to be wonders to attract people, isn't it, to your world? I would think not. Um, so, but if you <laughs> if you give people a great experience uh, and you turn on its head, and they want to come work for you because they can have fun, or because um, you stand for something, or because um, they walk through the, the door and instantly they feel better about their life because of uh, uh, of the energy they can feel in your business. I think that's that's a better currency than, than 4% pay increase. And I guess you're like pay is a hygiene factor that just has to be 
ticked off. It has to be, you know, the best you can do and be the best, of, you know, living uh, living wage and, and all those. And then, you know, it becomes like this hygiene factor. You're just following whatever, you know, your people need to survive. And I think I think what I can see, the, the people that's doing well and what I can hear from you, that you are caring for people in a totality of their lives. It's not just about getting the job done and getting to work and work. It's about the totality of their lives, exactly making them better. You almost act a bit like a mentor. And that's what I start to see when I've interviewed other people and been quite interested in, in my whole career in how this works. And this is that thing. It's There's not like this, you're at work and not work. You are been brought into, we, we're going to make you better in your life. And you can take whatever you want from that. If you want a leadership position or not, we're going to make your life better in principle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and our leaders are very much, you know, encouraged to do that. So, if, you know, let's say someone's having a one hour catch up with, with somebody in our, in our world. They might spend 45 minutes talking about that individual's life outside of work and only 15 minutes on the stuff that is work related. Because if we can, if we can help people um, have a great existence outside of work, chances are they're going to come through the door uh, and, you know, and fill a million dollars and all that stuff that's going on outside they'll forget and they'll just you know come with vigor and energy and that's that's really important to us and it is individuals you know we've got some people here um one guy dan who has loads of entrepreneurial flair brilliant energy probably doesn't have the 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 risk-taking um behavior to kind of go yes i want to be an entrepreneur and yes i'm willing to put some money online and create my own business but has everything else in spades so last summer we said, okay, Dan, we've got this beautiful 1970s camper van. It's worth, I don't know, 30 grand or something. Here you go. See what you can do with it. You know, we could, we could run it ourselves. We could take it to events and shows all around the country um, and we can make a success of it. Or we could give it to you and you could make even more of a success of it. And we could, along the journey, teach you how to have your own business and you'll get exposed to, you know, to the commercial stuff to the, uh, the important facets of running a business, which of course in turn is going to help us uh, when you come to work. So again, just thinking a bit differently. Now that's super interesting. And I had a interview, I did an interview with Tom uh, from Honest Burger recently, where they also have created like an incubator program, as you said, for people that really have these entrepreneurial traits, but just either need the opportunity or just need a bit of handholding to take those chances. And that could be very important for our industry as the future as well, that we create future great hospitality leaders and owners as well as businesses. Where's the, how does the future look for the industry, John, in, in your lens? If you were looking in the crystal ball, uh, how is looking in 12, 18 months in our industry? It looks like very, you know, still very difficult if you look at all the things that's hitting the industry. And we still have, you know, a lot of things coming up ahead of us. Yeah, it's, it's certainly still still tough, isn't it? The um, the I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to that question because I think different different facets of the industry, different size organisations have different challenges. What we do know is that there is still this pent up demand for people to go out and have a good time. So we need to capitalise on that. And it's tough out there if organisations don't have the people in place to service their, that, that demand. Then it gets really difficult. I think we can all see that, you know, there, there was the um, the initial kind of, oh, wish the industry is lacking people. If it's not exactly as you want it to be, if your experience in a restaurant isn't perfect, bear with us. 
I think that kind of uh, <laughs> that's that's that reality check is, is is hit hard. I think people's expectations um, are higher than ever, and actually their willingness to be supportive and empathetic of, of the situation the industry is in is is long gone, if you ask me. So um, people are spending their hard-earned cash. They want to. They want to come out and play, have some fun, and they're only willing to accept excellence as far as I'm concerned, which is tough, which is really tough. But I think the future looks like um, a, a really good technology-focused approach in hospitality. I think one thing we've learned over the past 18 years so, excuse me, 18 months when it comes to e-commerce is um, frictionless experience. And we try and take those learnings from e-commerce and apply them in our stores and in our business. So what can we do to enhance um, the customer's experience with um, with technology? Um, and that doesn't have to cost loads of money. It really doesn't have to cost loads of money. You just need to have bright people that um, that are willing to to either build stuff or at least look at things in a different, different, different way. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's probably where we're going. We know the onslaught of supply chain issues that's coming, and again, everyone's going to have to reinvent, reinvent, review, restructure, rebuild, and just make sure that they are setting themselves up to success and not trying to do too much. Um, I think less is going to be more for the next eighteen months, probably. And that's super interesting. And and you are you are, and I like as you're saying that you know the only constant is change. And you know we need to keep on being agile. We need to take care of our people and use technology to to improve you know the experience both for customers and internally as well. What about uh, you know on you know where do you get your inspiration from? Do you have like some influential mentors to help you to become a better leader because you know you are you're running the business? Do you have somebody to to challenge you? Do you have had some true history that's really have been part of forming you to the way you think leadership and culture and approach to business? Uh, well, I guess Michael, listening to podcasts like yours is is a big help. Let's let's face it. Um, oh, actually, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I actually think um, sometimes the industry is pretty guilty at looking insular and internally for seeds of wisdom. And actually, we need to look outside at other sectors to try and get some inspiration for what we should be doing. So, you know, I do sort of listen to a lot of podcasts and, and read a lot of books, but largely none of it is to do with hospitality, if I'm honest. Um, because I want to see what else is happening in the world when it comes to other sectors, because I think that's, you know, the application of, of ideas is where the magic happens. So if you can take those nuggets and those seeds from, from different areas and apply them in your business, then you're probably going to create something um, pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, all over the place. I have got you know, a small number of people that I call upon on a regular basis and just chew the fat and, uh, you know, kind of say, if you were in my shoes, what would you do? You've been here. What did you do? Um, so I think everyone's got, or everyone should have a decent network of, uh, of friends that they can that they can call on when they need some some, some pearls of wisdom. Uh, you talked about, you just said there, you know, I read a lot of book. If you were giving a book away, nine out of 10 time, what book would that be then, Jonathan? I love the book by the founder of Nike called Shoe Dog. That's a really cool book when it comes to, building brands, taking risks, and um, and being sort of relentlessly focused on what you what you stand for. I also love another book by a guy called Ricardo Semler um, called Maverick, 
which you must have read um or written maybe <laughs> michael it but, is it is it is it is behind us uh, i unfortunately i didn't write that book but yeah i would yeah. have loved to yeah i mean and, and that guy well ahead of his time when it comes to what does the future of work look like you know he was running engineering businesses in south america and was really incredibly transparent with his teams it was all about you know you want a pay rise okay well then ask your colleagues all that sort of great stuff you know uh, and, and I, I i think that's just brilliant I, i'd love to actually i've not seen him talk um recently but i'd love to know how those decisions and that culture that that, that, that ricardo Semler had in place many moons ago how it's looking now see if it's uh, still working but yeah really inspired by, by that yeah, and I actually, I actually saw him um, just before the summer uh, at a virtual event, um, and he was no longer involved in the business. He's now retired, and I think he quite honest said it's not the same, um, and it's not me to judge in a way. He said like very maverick, uh, but they they are they moving on doing its own thing. And then I looked a bit into it, and it looked like because the founder and the family has withdrawn from it, which is quite interesting. They were losing some of that autonomy that was in the organization before, and some bit more old school industrial thinking was come back into uh, into Semco. But I don't know enough about it. But it was like you know, it, it was very sad to see uh, that uh, if that was the truth. But uh, he was quite open about it. That he said that it's very difficult to to practice this if you don't believe in it as a CEO. Um, and that was what he talked about as well. The, the importance of succession was one of the things he talked about as you moved the organization on. Um, what? How do you actually find the energy? You just said it's bloody hard. How do you find the energy to show up pro every day, uh, Jonathan? Uh, it's it's you. You have as many crazy challenges as anyone else. But how do you get the energy? How do you get yourself pumped and ready to go in every day? Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you that I um I wake up at four a.m. And have a power shake every morning and then you know run a marathon or anything like that um because that would be that would be that would be utter bull but what i do try and do is wake up uh, at, a, at a decent hour so i'm generally up before six and i do try and achieve something before i um put anything into my body by way of coffee or breakfast or whatever it may be so for me i try and get to the gym uh four or five times a week and just make sure i've earned my breakfast before i put any fuel inside me i think that's really important um the other thing I do is um, I walk really fast wherever I go. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a miserable person walking fast. Um, it doesn't happen too often unless they're in a rush because they're late. So I, th I feel like um, walking fast, raising your heartbeat is a good place to be. So that's something I do quite a lot. And I just make sure I drink loads of water from an energy point of view, you know, at least two or three litres a day. Um, I do have to limit the coffee, sadly, um, because... Sleep is also a huge, uh, huge defining um, factor in someone's energy. So I tend not to have coffee after three o'clock. Am I allowed to admit that? Probably not, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah, I know how, how that is as well. Um, but it always helps. I know you have small kids as well, so they, they also take a lot of energy. So it makes you sleep very well when you, you get the opportunity to sleep. What would be your like uh, top advice to leaders out there in our industry? We we talked about culture. We talked about where the industry is going. We talked about the staffing crisis. Uh, what is like your top three advice to people out there? So for me, the best thing that I've done in the past eighteen months is is gotten much closer to our teams and giving uh, our guys on the floor 
bigger responsibilities, bigger roles and bigger voices. So the program that I always used to love watching on television was um, Undercover Boss, where people would go back to the floor and they would um, try and get under the skin of their business once again and try and find out what they needed to do in order to change things, improve things through the eyes of their employees. And I think the concept is, is, is sound and it still works today. So I try and make sure that, uh, that I spend time on the floor. Um, I think it goes a long way. I think people enjoy sharing the pain uh, and the joy with, um, with the senior folk in the business. So that's certainly one. Uh, yeah, look outside hospitality for advice um, and for information and for challenge. I think we can all get captured in this bubble of hospitality and we all think, oh, woe is me, isn't it tough right now? Well, probably is, but damn sure it's tougher elsewhere if you look. And some people outside of hospitality have probably had similar challenges and have probably overcome them with some different thinking. So, you know, that's, I think, really important. And, um, yeah, I mean, I always, I always sort of challenge myself and say, what, what do I want... What I wanted to say on my tombstone, I appreciate this is, uh, you know, not particularly positive uh, language, but, you know, what do you want to leave behind? That's really important. So is, is what you're doing today something you're really proud of? Uh, and if you get those, you know, that one sentence on your tombstone, what's it going to say? What do you leave behind? And are you proud of your impact you've had? So, yeah, that would be my advice. That's a super advice, uh, Jonathan. And uh, I guess there's a lot, as you say, there's looking into the mirror instead of out of the window if you want to improve yourself as a leader, but also as a business. And uh, go and find inspiration from, from the best of the best, both inside and outside hospitality. Love that. Where can people find you if they want to, to reach out to you? They want to know more about Patty and Scott. Where are the, the great places to go? Yeah, well, come on, come on, see us on Paddy and Scott's Top Shop. We've got um, some really cool coffee shops um, around Suffolk. We'd love to, uh, love to welcome people over. And um, yeah, you know, there's some great videos on YouTube uh, that we're really proud of as well that tell our story passionately uh, and promote the impact we're trying to have around the world. So, um, funnily enough, we've got, I think we. we We've got some videos that are absolutely crazy in terms of uh, view account and uh, number of subscribers on our YouTube channel is absolutely nuts for a tiny little company. So in that respect, we must be doing something right. Great, great. Jonathan, thank you so much for, for taking time out. And actually, you know, I know you're out and about today in one of the stores and, and share the story with us and, and with the rest of the audience. And I will send you and uh, the team at Paddy and Scott Power and Energy for, for the road ahead. Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. We'll take it with, uh, with open arms. And hopefully we're gonna, hopefully we're gonna sit across each other enjoying coffee in Suffolk in, in, in the near future. That's definitely the plan. Yeah, let's do that. Let's fuel some ambition. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for sharing your amazing insights on how to build a company that makes a positive impact on people, community, and the planet. I would recommend you to sit down now with pen and paper and ask yourself, what steps can I take to build a culture that's based on purpose, autonomy, and mastery? To get further inspiration on how to build a great company culture, you can also tune in to our episode 29, Enrich Lives with Mowgli's Nisha Katoner. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review it, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply, for supporting us bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on the social at bizsimply or 
BizSimplyHQ and you can email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. Thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. In the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick. <laughs>